Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. Hey, we're in a series titled Unstoppable, and we're moving through the book of Acts. We're in the fourth of five sermons that we're going to do before our Advent series, and then when we come back into January, we'll finish up the last, last three. Acts is a pretty decent-sized book of the Bible, and so it's not something that I could uh, move through uh, with any depth over the course of one month. So we split it into two, and uh, I really like uh, this picture of the avalanche because this is exactly how the Holy Spirit's movement was uh, beginning there in Acts chapter 2, uh, when he came just as, uh, as Jesus promised he would with, with wind and with fire. And if you remember a couple uh, weeks ago, I, I showed the parallels between that encounter with, with God and Israel's first encounter back at Mount Sinai. The first encounter, God came down also with wind and fire. The whole mountain shook and the people were terrified. And the result was like, okay, we obey, we serve you because we fear you, essentially. Uh, but in the second instance, when God came down and with wind and fire, there was this, we serve you because we want to. There was this faith rather than fear as the motivation. And so we continue moving forward. And now we're talking about, uh, you know, like when we come to know the Lord, how does he change us? And so the title of today's sermon is God's Grace in Us. We're going to be talking a lot about grace, and uh, very, grace is very central to the entire Bible. If we, if we don't quite understand it, we're going to, uh, there's a good chance we're not going to understand a lot of what God says and does throughout scriptures. And so as I think about grace, I have to come to this idea of gifts, which is really appropriate because I don't know about you, but I'm already starting into like Christmas shopping and, and thinking about what I'm going to get my wife and children and different people. How many of you have also started Christmas shopping? Anybody else started? Just the four of us ultra-prepared people. <laughs> I want to have it done before Thanksgiving, essentially. I just want to chill out during December. That is so funny. There's only four of us who have started. Oh, that's really funny. You know, you started in July. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, you know, when we think about gifts, if I, as I think about gifts, and I think about what is the best, one of the best gifts I've ever received. Well, I can tell you that occurred like for my 40th birthday this past March. One of the coolest gifts I've ever gotten was my wife saved and got me a tennis ball machine. And I love tennis. It's one of my favorite sports. And, but the thing about tennis is you've got to have two people to play. And so I now have my like second person where I can just go out anytime I want. I can just put that tennis ball machine. I go right over here to Reva Ridge Park, right out Main Street. I just hit tennis balls and it's, it's fun. And I don't have to depend on uh, finding, uh, you know, someone to play with. So that was one of the, the best gifts I've ever received. I've gotten a lot of use out of that. Uh, what about you? What's the best gift uh, that you've ever received? Do you have anything that comes to mind off the top of your head? Yep. Yes, that's the best gift. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to turn and talk. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and someone else 30 seconds. You don't need to stand up, just someone around you. Just turn and talk to someone near you, behind you, next to you, in front of you, and tell them what is the best gift you ever received and why. Go, take a second. 
Tell someone what your best gift is. If you haven't switched, switch who's talking. I know some of you like to chat a lot. Did you switch? Okay. All right. We, are, we like getting gifts, quite frankly. How many of you like getting a gift? I, I like getting I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I don't like getting gifts. I'm not that holy, okay? I, I like getting a gift once in a while, right? I'm 40 years old, and my grandma still gives me like 50 bucks for Christmas, and I've already got it planned out. I already know like what I'm going to get, you know what I mean? So, I, so you never get too old for a gift. You know, thinking about gifts, how do they compare to paychecks? What's the difference between a gift and a paycheck? Well, you all know the difference, especially if you've ever gotten a paycheck or not gotten a paycheck, right? You know the difference between a, a paycheck and a gift. A paycheck is something that you earned, right? And you rightfully deserve. It, it's essentially a two-sided transaction. I do and they do. I do something, they do something. We exchange, right? But a gift is not a two-sided transaction. It's a one-sided transaction. There's no I, there's just they do. They just do something for us, whether we've deserved it or not. And as we begin to think about God's grace in us, we need to realize that God's grace is a gift. It is a one-sided transaction. It is just he does, not I do, he does. He doesn't owe us grace. He just gives us grace because we have expressed faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's it. We haven't shown him how good we are and therefore, oh, oh, yeah, you're right. You do deserve grace. Here you go. It's not that sort of an exchange. I find, though, that a lot of people get God's grace and his mercy confused. God's mercy, yes, is, is uh, he's not giving us what we deserve, okay? Um, all of us who have parents, especially uh, like little girls, essentially, I'm speaking from a father's heart here, right? And they give you, like, you know they're in trouble and you know they, they need, man, you need a timeout, you know, you need a swat on the butt or something. And then they give you those puppy eyes and you're like, just don't do it again. You know, that's mercy, right? How many of you have received God's mercy? He has looked at you and you've given him those puppy dog eyes and he has said, just don't do it again, right? You've experienced that before, and thank God we, we all have. God's grace, on the other hand, while we do not deserve it or we have not earned it, that is not its definition. God's grace, by definition, is his divine influence upon our lives. God's grace is what changes us from sinners to saints. God's grace is what enables us to stop bad habits and start good habits. God's grace is what enables us to overcome our natural tendencies and develop supernatural tendencies to do the things that we wouldn't naturally do, to be kind when we naturally wouldn't be kind, to be patient when we wouldn't naturally be patient, or to be good or faithful or exercise self-control when we normally wouldn't do that, okay? That is God's grace. God's grace is his divine influence on our lives. And when we experience it, as we'll see today in Saul's life, who later became Paul, his change in name really reflects the work of God's grace in his life as God's grace changed his mission and his perspective. And as a result of those changes, his name changed. 
from Saul to Paul. And I think the same is, I know the same is true for us. When we have an encounter with, with Jesus and we experience his presence in our lives, God's grace begins to work on us. And one of the very first things he changes is our mission and our perspective. And we'll also see in the life of Ananias, once we come to know the Lord, he's going to change our attitude, especially as it concerns unbelievers. So open your Bible with me. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to start in verses 1 through 3. Uh, just in honor of God's word, would you just stand with me, please? Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then 20 through 22. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if you're following along. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. Go up to verse 20. And immediately, we'll just we'll go back to 19b. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, verse 20, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And so the very first thing we see changing as a result of God's grace in Saul's life was his mission. I mean, in verses one through three, look at those again. We see him uttering threats with every breath. That's very descriptive. I like how Luke, uh, the author of Acts, describes that. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. We see his mission This man was on a mission, he had a place to go, he was on assignment. He had an aim, an ambition that he was looking to accomplish. But by verse 22, which is not a whole lot uh, later, we see him totally turned around. He began preaching about Jesus, saying, indeed, he is the Son of God. So what could possibly change a man who is so violently opposed to Christianity? Change him in that way. Well, I can tell you right now, it was an encounter with Jesus. And we will read about that in a few moments. But that bright light that shone around him, that was Jesus Christ. Shining down in all his brilliance, changed Saul's mission. You know, I think the same is true for us. When we have an encounter with the Lord, when we have a genuine experience with the Lord, and I'll just tell you right now, there is no higher prayer that I could pray for you as your pastor, that you would know the Lord for yourself. That you would, for yourself, experience His presence. Because you can't live off my relationship with God. And as parents, I would encourage you to pray for your children and your grandchildren because you can give them a lot of things, but you cannot give them a genuine experience with God. You can't make God real to them. You can only model and teach them what a good relationship with God looks like, right? But you can't literally have them at this altar and God come and and just move on their hearts where they walk away going, I know God is real. 
Whether I fully understand scriptures or not, I just know he's real. I know he loves me and my faith is in him. Is there any higher prayer we could pray for our, our children or grandchildren? I say no. And, and so this is ex- where God's grace starts. And when we have that encounter with him, I know in my own life, when I encountered the Lord in a powerful way, my mission changed. God's grace changed it. And all as I've grown and, 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 and served the Lord, it's been massaged and kind of tweaked here and there, right? And the same is true for you. How has God's grace changed your mission, your assignment, your aim, your ambitions in life? What are you ambitious for? What are you chasing after right now? Is it a job? Is it a particular pay grade? Is it a a, a home or a this or a that? What are you ambitious for? And the real question is, is whether or not that is a product of God's grace or a product of your just natural, earthly nature. I don't think it's wrong to be ambitious for different things, but I have to ask, is it a part of God's mission for my life or a mission for your life? Furthermore, if we think about ourselves collectively as a congregation, is God's grace influencing our mission, our assignment? There's a reason why we're here in Parker. There's a reason why you have felt called to Cornerstone Church. It's, and I, I just tell you right now, it's not to circle the wagons and wait for Jesus to come back. It's not to just have a club and, or to simply have friends with like values. If that's the case, then we probably need to move on and do something else because there are other places to get that from. But as your pastor, I'm telling you, our mission, our mission is going to be very similar to what the early church aimed for. And they, what were they aiming for? They were aiming for people to be saved, water baptized, filled with the Spirit, right? They emphasized sound biblical teaching. They were in prayer and in worship and in fellowship and they ate together, right? These are the, the things. It wasn't an exhaustive list. It was just like these were the essential things and they just really worked at it. That was their mission. And as a result, what did God do? He added to their numbers daily, daily people. We could maybe put it in our case, weekly. How many of you would like to see people on a weekly basis coming to know the Lord? Coming and saying, man, I would love to have to part that stinking stage every week or every other week because somebody wanted to be baptized. How many of you would like to see that? I would like to see that. I would like to see people, if there, there are a whole bunch of people out there that are done, so to speak, with corporate Christianity, they're done with a show. They're done with showing up and being entertained. And they're looking for a church that will disciple them. They're looking for a church that's got genuine worship and, and biblical teaching. And if you know them, you can tell them about Cornerstone. And so I would like to see those types of people also coming because right now they're not attending anywhere. They're not connected. And so I want to see the Lord adding to us. But it's not going to happen unless our mission is influenced by God's grace. You know, a lot of people misinterpret God's mission for their life. I have a friend who made it his mission in life to fight poverty. 
he totally misinterpreted that calling from God because now he goes and he wrestles homeless people every weekend. I'm teasing about that. I'm totally teasing about that. Okay? But there are people like that. Saul was one of them. Do you, un- actually, do you understand that Saul thought he was doing God a favor? He thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians and protecting Judaism. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. And it took a, an encounter, a powerful encounter with Jesus to totally reshape that man's mission. In fact, look at uh, verse 3 again. Look at verse 3 again. It says, suddenly, suddenly. Paul's enco- Saul's encounter with Jesus was sudden. It was unexpected. It caught him off guard. It caught him so off guard that it knocked him to the ground. It knocked him to the ground. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus that knocked you to the ground, so to speak? Like out of nowhere, he comes in and he shows you something and you're like, oh boy, I have been doing it all wrong this whole time. What you thought you were, when you thought you were on the right track, you actually weren't. And he begins to change you and get you going in the way that he wants you to go. And this is exactly what happened with Saul. Let's look at the second way that God's grace changed Saul and changes us, and that has to do with perspective. Look at verses 4 through 9. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He didn't recognize him. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Notice the exclamation point on the end there. It's like he's yelling at him or he's kind of like chiding him a bit. You know what I mean? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, the men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. God's grace changes our perspective. About perspective, someone once said, some people see the glass half full, others see it half empty, but I see a glass that is twice as big as it needs to be. I thought that was really good. That was an interesting point of view, and that's exactly what a perspective is. A perspective is a point of view. In physics, a point of view we call a frame of reference. It's a baseline against which everything else is measured. So that when you describe an object's motion or how it's, the force is acting on it, you com- are comparing it to that baseline. The baseline is, is foundational to everything else that follows after it. And the same is true of our point of view, of our perspective. But what a lot of people don't realize is that our perspective, what we see, our vision, if you will, is determined by our values. Values determine vision. If you don't have that in your bulletin, write that down. Values determine vision. Whatever is valuable to you, you will see. 
You will notice it, both in yourself and in others. If a particular eye color is valuable to it, you will notice that as you go around. A car brand, you will notice those things. You will unconsciously look for those things. Watches, shoes, other things that you're just kind of into. You will notice them. If, you are, if kindness is very valuable, you will notice when people have it, and you will notice when people don't. If patience, that's your virtue. You're like an extremely patient person. You will notice it. And people who have it, you will appreciate it, and you will notice it when people don't, right? So we, whatever you value, you will tend, we will tend to see. And that's exactly what was true in Saul's case. He valued certain things, therefore he saw them in others. And when he didn't see them in Christians, he persecuted them. He per- tried to get that out of there. He didn't want anything, he didn't want it to to propagate, I guess you'd say. I think his physical blindness here, notice uh, in verse 8, when he opened his eyes, he was blind. I think his physical blindness was symbolic of his spiritual blindness. I think Jesus was trying to show him that his perspective, the things that he valued in life, both in himself and in others, was wrong. That he had it backwards. And that spiritual blindness was uh, symbolized in his physical blindness. And over the course of the next three days, look at verse 9, he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I think over the course of those three days, God was changing his values and therefore changing what he saw. And he emerged from that situation, as we saw in verse 20, that he immediately began preaching about Jesus. And so I have to think, uh, actually one thing, if you look at, Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes of this change. He describes what happened, I believe, in these, these three days. He's, uh, Philippians 3, verses 6 through 8. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought, listen, these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. There's God's grace That's the change that God made in him. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He talks about a few of those things that he used to consider valuable. Let me just read you a couple. He no longer did he value circumcision, pure blood citizenship, nor strict obedience to the Jewish law. Those things he, he, would have, he would have died for. And now he says, they're garbage. They're nothing compared to the grace that I've experienced because of Jesus' presence in my life. They're nothing. And when I think about my own life and I think about the things I used to value before coming to know Christ, and I look at those things and I think, why did I even do that? That wasn't helping me be a better man or a better husband or a better father a better person, that didn't help me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? After you come to know the Lord, you look back and you go, boy, I was so dumb. Why did I do that? Why was I, talk, why was I treating my wife that way? Why was I treating my spouse that way? Why was I interacting with my kids that way? The changes God makes in my, made in my life and he made in your life and we look back at those, the way we looked at life, and we think, man, I, I had it backwards. What about us as a congregation? 
What's our perspective? Well, I can tell you our perspective comes out of what we value. And over this summer, uh, the leadership team and I, we developed some core values. It just came kind of naturally through uh, uh, some conversations we were having about the, just the culture of our church and, you know, just what do we want? How do we make Cornerstone Church the very best experience anybody has ever had in a big or small church? And so these are the things we're aiming for. I printed a few of these. Uh, mine is folded because it was in my pocket, but they're right out here on the, uh, the lobby table. There were the black tablecloth. These are, I won't read the entire thing. I'm just going to give you the values. Um, no frills, genuine Christ-centered worship. What we do for worship is not a show. Uh, authentic friendships and unparalleled hospitality. We want this to be a place where people can make friends and they have a warm welcome. Not a smothering welcome, just a warm welcome. <laughs> okay? Um, Bible-centered teaching that challenges and grows our faith. I hope you get that. I'm certainly aiming for that. Balanced and consistent missions, both locally and globally. Excellence in all we do. We aim for excellence, we do our best, but it's, this is a place where people can grow in their talents. People, I am certainly not perfect on this guitar over here, and if anybody wants to learn or wants to play, if they're better than me, you just take my spot, please. But we are all trying to do and aim for what we can do to the best of our ability. Uh, a culture of involvement. You hear me talk about that often. This is not a church for spectators. If you are here, you can be expected to be asked to pray, give, and serve somehow, and you know, participate. All, every one of us can, can at least pray, and most of us can give, and you know what, I think most of us can serve as well. Those are our values, and out of those values comes what we see, both in ourselves as a congregation, and what we see in our community, okay? And so we are hoping to attract people that uh, resonate with those values. We're hoping to align the things we do here at Cornerstone Church with those values. But to start them and maintain them requires God's grace to alter our perspective, not just personally, but also corporately. All right, before we get to our third, our third uh, point here, I want us to uh, think about this statement. I'm going to have you turn and talk. Again, 30 seconds a person. I want you to listen to this. When you realize what you truly deserve, you understand all is grace. When you realize what you truly deserve, you understand all is grace. What do you think this means? And do you agree or disagree? Turn and talk to somebody right now. I'm going to step out here and listen to you while you chat. Turn and talk. What do you think? Turn and talk. Talk to somebody around you. All right, switch if you haven't already. Okay, about five seconds. All right. You know, personally, when I read this statement, what came to me was the fact that every positive interaction I have with God is one more than I actually deserve. Every positive interaction I have with God is one more than I deserve. Every change he's made in my life and is continuing to make, because there are a lot of things he's working on my heart with, is one more change than I deserve. And the real question is, 
for myself and for you, and I want you to answer this question for yourself. What are you doing with the changes that God has made in your life? Are you, someone once, a youth pastor once described it like this, are you, uh, are you uh, uh, like the Dead Sea or like the Sea of Galilee? Are, is, it, is God's grace flowing through you or is it a dead end? Is every change he makes in your life just kind of stop there? Or does it propagate in, into other people's lives as well? That's the question. And the answer to it really has a lot to do with our attitude, especially towards unbelievers. And this is where this other uh, third character uh, comes into play here in our, our scriptures today. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read about a man named Ananias and how God's grace changed his attitude towards believers. Uh, verse 10, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord. Notice he recognized the Lord's voice where Saul did not. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judah. When you get there, ask for a man from, Saul, uh, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias. But Lord, have you ever told the Lord that? But Lord, what? I can't do that. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, he, notice he says, but Lord, and the Lord says, but Lord. Let's come right back. No. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to, the, and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. And so we see um, uh, some parallels between Ananias' experience as well as Saul's. Both of them saw the Lord. Both of them ex had a sudden uh, encounter with Jesus, and both of them needed a change. Saul needed a change in his mission and his perspective, but Ananias needed a change in his attitude towards unbelievers. You see, I think Ananias' attitude towards unbelievers could be summarized in two words, in verse 13, but Lord. He's basically, he limited in his mind who he thought God could save, change, and use. He said, he could never be saved, changed, and used. Do you know? Do you know? Like Ananias is trying to inform the Lord of something, like as if Jesus doesn't know, like he's not aware. Like, oh, and I can't you know, see Jesus being like, oh, you're, you're right, I didn't know that, never mind, you know. I, he's too far gone, you know. Yeah, you're right, he is a pretty bad guy. Hmm, you got a point there. Oh, never mind, don't, don't, just scratch that. No, he's like, he says, Luke records it, but the Lord said right back to him, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. And so Ananias went, and here's what I think happened, and then we'll talk about us. I think he had to take a deep breath, 
get up, open his door, like consciously do these things, walk out and head to Straight Street and find Judas' house. And as he got from here to there, God's grace changed his attitude. As he went, it wasn't like change and now I'm going to go. I think as Ananias went, his attitude changed. And so when he got there, he was able to say what he said and pray for him. Think about this. We know Saul, in hindsight, as like, you know, author of several epistles, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, evangelism in Christian history. We see all this, but we forget that it was Ananias who had the privilege of leading Saul to the Lord. And I think, although it's not explicitly stated here, I think that he was one or one of the ones who water baptized Saul, prayed for him to receive the Holy Spirit. Talk about a privilege. Do you read about Ananias anywhere else in Scripture? No. But I tell you, he has a very, very special history in Scripture as being the one who helped Saul start his relationship with the Lord. And so when I think about myself, and I think about how sometimes my attitude gets in the way of, of who I minister to or who I think is eligible to be saved. Lord, you couldn't save them. You could never save them. Look at who they are. Look at what they're doing. How in the world could I... I don't even know if I could even pray for that person to be saved. Immediately, immediately, that should be a sign of something that's, that's not the Father's heart. What's the Father's heart? That some men might be saved? Come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Absolutely, all! That all men, even the terrorists, right? Of which Saul, of, of who Saul was, Right? God doesn't want to see anybody spend eternity in hell. He wants all men to be saved, all men to come to a saving knowledge. And so what about you? Who's the worst sinner that you know? Who's the terrorist, if you will, at your work? Who's the one that persecutes Christians or talks negatively about uh, anything related to God? Who's that person? And do you think that God can and wants to save them? Your answer to that question tells a lot about your attitude in that regard of who is eligible to be saved, changed, and used by the Lord. Quite frankly, I think that we are going to be very surprised as a congregation of who the Lord saves, changes, and uses. We will see people come in. I believe it, and I'm, I'm speaking it out. Uh, you, whatever you want to say, it's prophetic. I'm saying that People will walk through our doors, get saved, be baptized and filled with the Spirit, and they, we will be absolutely amazed. Like, I never thought that they could experience that. How many of you would think that's a pleasant surprise? I would. I would be very glad for that. And so, we see God's grace changing Ananias' heart. I know God's grace has changed my attitude. God's grace has changed your attitude, and I believe God's grace is changing our attitude as a congregation. And this is critically important, especially 
uh, for, uh, as we come into this season of outreach where we have this just an increased emphasis. We have an ongoing, very consistent emphasis, things that we do both informally and formally here as far as like reaching out is concerned. But twice a year, both around Easter and Christmas, we have the, what is called the season of outreach where we put a, a little extra oomph into reaching out, right? Um, we have all sorts of things going on. We have 5,000 direct mailers that will be landing around the church, both this way, that way, and out, that way towards like Hidden River and Canterbury, okay? So we have that going out. We'll pray over those next week. We have uh, Facebook ads and different things. We have some local outreaches that our outreach director, Chris, is organizing. We have a few different, there's date night coming up as part of the season of outreach. We have some things that we're doing, okay? But here's, here's the point. How can we expect God's grace to change people out there if it doesn't first change us in here? If God doesn't change if we, let me say it this way, if we don't allow God's grace, His divine influence upon our hearts to change our mission, our perspective, and our attitude towards unbelievers, then we might as well cancel the season of outreach because it ain't going to do jack squat. Change has got to start here. And so as we finish today, I want you to join with me. Stand with me. We're going to finish with just praying at inviting God, doing a little bit of silent reflection. I, I listen to Chuck Swindoll a lot, and one thing I, I like that he brings up periodically is that he says there's not enough opportunities in church, modern churches given to take even 30 seconds to silently reflect while we're here, okay? While we're here and gathered in Jesus' name to just reflect and that's what I want you to do real quick, okay? And for some of us, silence is a bit awkward, but that's ex you're going to get through it, I'm telling you right now, okay? You pinch your leg, okay? If you need help getting through it, all right? I want you to reflect, and I just want you to pick one of those. Mission, perspective, attitude. And ask God, reflect on it, and, and just think, is my mission, or am I ambitious for the things that I should be? Am, am I, do, do I see myself and others like I should? Are my values right? Or how is my attitude towards unbelievers? Take one minute and think about that. Go. That's a minute. Man, a minute feels like a long time sometimes. But that's necessary. I don't think we have enough quiet time built in to our lives to take a moment and reflect on the things that really matter. And if you are one of those persons who busy themselves because you don't want to hear yourself think or hear God speak to you, then I'm telling you right now, that needs to change. And a great, the holidays are a great time to change stuff like that as we have an increased focus on Christmas. I want you to take time this week, wherever it works best for you, to, to reflect on those things. Pray with me before we go. Father, I just pray right now over Cornerstone Church and every person here today, I pray that your grace would work on our mission. God, that you would make us ambitious for the things that you 
are ambitious for. God, make our aim your aim. God, let us be extremely clear about what our assignment is here, not just as a corporate group, but as individuals. God, clarify that for us today like only your grace can. I also pray that you would change our values. May we value the things you value so that we might see ourselves and others the way you see. In Jesus' name, make it so. And God, just adjust our attitudes towards unbelievers, especially in light of the season we're coming into. Let us be absolutely surprised. Let us see this holiday season people saved, changed, and and beginning to be used by you. In Jesus' name. We speak that out. We pray right now. As everybody begins to pray, we pray right now that this season of outreach would be fruitful for you and just advance your kingdom. We pray for everything from the direct mailer to the lights to the various outreaches that we have going on and the gifts that we give. Let it all have a touch of your Holy Spirit built in that when people receive it, they would sense something different, God. That they, when they see the, the church lit up even, that they would be drawn by your Spirit, God. We know that all men are drawn by your Spirit before they come to that, that saving uh, knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. So begin to draw men unto yourself. Let them sense your presence, soften their hardened hearts in Jesus' name and use us to reach people and help people, help marriages, help families be strengthened, God, uh, and, and, and people be bettered because of their experience at Cornerstone. We thank you for all this. And now I pray a special blessing over your people, everyone here today. I speak a blessing in your name over their most important relationships, God, that they would experience peace. Lord, whoever's going through a a stormy situation right now, I speak peace, be still in Jesus' name to that situation. Just begin to receive that right now, if that's you. I speak peace in Jesus' name. As a pastor, as a, a, a person in spiritual authority, in your name, I speak that peace, God. Let that situation become calm. Let it be resolved. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Go with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, if you want to come next week and help me with lights, come and tell me right now and we'll, we'll get basic things set up. Have a great week. You are loved. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.